0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 80s B-Sides.
1: Let's make like enzymes and
0: break this down. Out of breath and seemingly out of key. This is a sublime song. I love that song. It's just bad. Large capital letters. What? <laughs>
1: So hello and welcome back to Season 3 of Review 2. This is Episode 2, and today we're going to be Review toing the 80s B-sides, particularly the B-sides on the 1980 to 1990 Best Of.
0: Yeah, and the rationale behind that is a little bit weird. Basically, there's so much to talk about in terms of U two B-sides. It's difficult to know where to start, how you begin slicing up all the different, you know, kind of eras of U2 in terms of, you know, let's do those B-sides. Maybe we should do all the ones for the first three albums together. Maybe we should do, you know, these ones or these ones. So we thought, right, let's do what U2 themselves released. And they released this collection in uh, 1998. And we've got all the B-sides that they selected. Now, it's a long record, two-part CD. That's the version that I had, at least. Well, there is a story behind that. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to fill us in?
1: Uh, well, there's a bit of skullduggery on the part of you two. Oh. Um, they they said that the two disc edition with the B sides would only be available for the first week, and after that, all the two disc editions would be taken out of the stores. Wow. Uh, so the <laughs> taken al- out the stores. There was that's what
0: they said. What was, are they going to do? Sending you two uh, security uh, squad to rip albums out of people's hands.
1: If anyone can do it, it's you two. Um, so that was that was the 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 selling point. You got to go and get this in in the first week, mm. uh, and the uh, the single disc edition would only be released the week after, mm. and from that point on, you could only get that. So there was a rush for the two disc, uh, and then they brought it out, and both ended up being in the charts. So, oh, well, fair enough.
0: I don't know if that counts as two albums though. I, I think it's splitting hers, to be honest. It just makes me laugh thinking about that kind of thing and then compare it to, you know, Innocence where they were forcing it into people's iPhones, you know. Yeah. Such a different world. Um,
1: But I want to talk to you, Johnny, yeah. about the the timing of this record. Because <laughs> I've always found it strange. <clears throat> there seemed to be no real reason to bring this record out. At that point, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was clamouring for it. But they just come off the Pot Mart tour uh, in March 1998. And then in November 1998, this record comes out.
0: Um, I think the songs have been remastered to an mm. extent. I can't imagine that they just stuck exactly the same things on without having a second listen. Yeah. I mean, you get edge away from the mixing desk.
1: But I'm beginning to think that you 2 didn't want to... Fade away into obscurity after a rather
2: well, what, what, patchy.
1: Yeah, Apache tour. It didn't do well. Didn't do that well critically or commercially. Uh, now we did the the album Pop, which came out the previous year. So is this
0: uh, an attempt at you two to go? Hey, re- remember when we were good? Well, it's. I mean, it's a consolidation, isn't it? It's them literally bringing out their best and sticking it in your face and saying, look, you cannot deny, these are good songs. No matter what you think of Miami, look at this. You know, we got Pry, we got With or Without You, all of them together, you know, so.
1: um, So that, it has. it's always struck me as strange, the timing of this record.
0: Do you agree with that? I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, commercially, it's a great idea. I knew so many people who had this. Um, this was their only U2 album, you know, maybe this and The Joshua Tree. Right. Because... It does work very well as an introduction to the band. You know, the hits are undeniable. Pride with or without you, you know, they're all on there.
1: Yeah, I remember listening to this a lot more in, in the first year I was into U uh, two. I listened to this a lot more than the ninety two two thousand
0: uh, hmm. best of. That's interesting because I had the opposite uh, reaction. I was much more into the nineties one, but I think this is a very good gateway album, so to speak, for a lot of people. I think it could get you into you too very effectively. So maybe that's why they released it. Um but then we've got a very odd selection of B-sides, I think. And it'll be good to see as we go through this, you know, the arguments about what was included and what wasn't included, why is that on the, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Uh yeah, well, uh relatively quick for us, but um is it time to go track by track? There's very little to say about this.
0: No, uh, not really. Apart from the fact that we'll be doing a few kind of weird episodes, I imagine, uh, after we look at the B-sides.
1: Yeah, the next episode is the 90s. 90, to, uh, 90 to 2000 Best of B-sides. It
0: rolls off the tongue, yeah, doesn't, doesn't it? it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then in two weeks' time, we'll be doing um, our version of the Best of the B-sides for 2000 to 2010. Yes, that's the plan. That could be a desperate episode. <laughs> um, and then, after that, I did just have this up. Should I tell the listeners what is coming up this
0: I season? I think we'll keep them in suspense. There are a lot of things that we I'd could do. I'd like to do. keep them in suspenders. Okay, brilliant. Right, so... Um, that's that. I was trying to think about Brian Eno and Passengers and that project, and... yeah, I ended okay. up thinking about Brian Eno in suspense Right, no, right, okay, B-sides, let's go track by track, so... How do you do this? From Innocence to Experience?
1: (laughs) I've not even got one this week. Right, so, from Innocence to Experience, follow us all the way down to the Heartbreak Hotel as we review the 1980 to 1990 B-sides of the band U2.
0: Okay, so we begin with the three sunrises and this is i'll say it right from the start one of my favorite u2 songs it's such a good song and edge agrees that it is it remains one of our best outtakes is what he said i would agree it is an excellent song and we basically should get down to brass tacks right away on this this should have been on the unforgettable fire it's a travesty that it wasn't And the inclusion of this and another song, and maybe a couple of others, and some rejigging, and, let's us not forget, getting rid of Elvis Presley in America completely. And the 4th of July. No, I like that song. Uh, Listeners who want to uh, review that discussion, debate, argument... Debacle. (laughs) uh, ...can go back to the Unforgettable Fire episode for our opinions, respectively. So, and the thing is, this is a big deal to me, because... I mean, as far as these things are big deals, with the inclusion of this song because it's that good, and "Love Comes Tumbling" and some rejigging, "Unforgettable Fire" would be a contender for my favorite U two album. It would vie with Actung Baby." It would be between those two. But in its state, it's you know without this song. And and further to that, I think
1: uh, just in pop culture, I, I think that would be regarded as one of the best albums ever. Because hmm. um, the highs on, I think we said in the in the podcast for that that album, album uh, that its heights are extremely high, but it's just it's it doesn't have the
0: foundation. It, it it falls away when it needs to stand up. Yeah. And it's so odd that that a song like this, which it's so strong. I mean the reason that um the band gave is um is basically that they thought that it sounded a bit too different from the other material on the album. But you need that, I think, to leaven the album. Because A Sonic Fourth of July, which you hate and I really like, it's murky and it's sort of dismal. But I think it adds a really interesting kind of um, colour to the whole Sonic palette, if I can use such terms. But- no, I, I, I get what you mean. I, I think the, the same way about that. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine starting the second half of, this, of Unforgettable Fire with this, I don't think it should be the first song, although it works well as the introduction to these B sides. But imagine how much joy and energy that brings into this, to you know, the, the whole album. This is really upbeat. There's, I don't, can't think of a, another U two song where there's as much joy when they're singing uh, "Sunshine," and that is needed on the Unforgettable Fire.
1: Yeah, it it feels, it feels, it feels really good. It feels really energetic, and I do like it. But I do have a kind of argument of why it shouldn't be on arcade fire uh, on on arcade fire <laughs> <laughs> on the unforgettable fire um when i'm when I was listening to this the first time uh not the first time this week what I'm talking about it feels like it's a mix or kind of a bridge from war to unforgettable fire so maybe mm-hmm. it would it could be better placed. As a single, um, which I think would have been the, the better way to release it anyway, um, in just maybe three months before the album came out, you know, just as a a little mm. taste, because I do think that the it, aesthetically, it feels like both War and Unforgettable Fire, but War mm. and Unforgettable
0: Fire are two vastly different entities. That's an interesting. Um, that's an interesting consideration and yeah i can see what you mean there do you think the, that aesthetic similarity to war do you think that comes from what for you the guitar or from the singing or um well this is
1: i thought it's ambient and it's experimental which and also w-
0: pretty raucous later on it's got yeah, a lot in it
1: ambient and experimental that ticks the boxes for under uh, unforgettable fire Mm-hmm. which I, I can't seem to say today <laughs> but it, it still seems raw and rebellious and it's got that energy that, that war has yep. Unforgettable Fire although very good in, in parts is kind of a little bit more chilled out it, yeah. it's got a subtlety to it which war doesn't have war is all out in your face yep. And out of the two I probably do prefer war mm-hmm. but that's just my own personal preference um, so it does remind me of both in equal measure, and I, I do think that that it's a, it's a waypoint. Uh, but to bring it out after the record, or maybe it would have been a B side.
0: Well, it was part of Wide it Awake was, in America, which it was a B
1: side on um, Unforgettable Fire, mm. though as the, the single.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's um, I just I guess it's worth bringing up the fact we're not going to do a whole episode on Wide Awake in America. It will probably get brought up later on. I think we've covered most of the songs, yeah, that's or, or will have done by the end of today. Exactly, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Um, this, to me, is a song which has... I get what you're saying, though. It does have a, a kind of a mix of tones. And that the range of texture, I think, is what makes me like this song so much and want it to be on Unforgettable Fire. And again, this might come down to the fact that I'm more invested in the guitar sound than you, or a bit more, basically. Um, because... Edge is doing so many different things here, and that is something that he does across the Unforgettable Fire. So on, on Wire, he does a lot of different things. There's a lot of, you know, kind of snarling and wailing and just weird stuff that he doesn't do anymore. I mean I wish he would take a bit more risks these days, you know, with some of the sounds that he's using. Yeah. Because I don't think he um I think they just they went to the studio and this had a good go at doing this, you know. And I, I think uh, in, think about it too much.
1: I think in the in these early days they were just trying to experiment and do what what they can. But uh, now they have like okay, this works. Mm. They've got a, this huge bank of stuff that works. So the idea is, oh well, do
0: I want to risk it or do I just want to
1: do the stuff that I know? Yeah. that will go down well.
0: Shall we write another with or without you? Shall we write another one? You know, and he's going to yeah. okay. Shall we put it into that kind of mold or that mold? Must be frustrating as well as um, well. Obviously, great to have that many good songs to fall back on.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I'd like to see this live. This is one of the songs I'd like oh, to yeah. see live. If 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 you two are now doing this retro thing and they're going back, mm-hmm. then put my name down next to this song because I, I want to hear this. Uh, you can imagine it, it. It would, it would be epic live. You can
0: imagine the the crowd. Uh, you know the people who um know this song, if you heard that opening, yeah, the the chords, and then Spirit of the Rising, you know, it it would go nuts. Be a good opener. It would be, and that's again why I think second side of Unforgettable Fire is where this song belongs.
1: Yeah, I I I think this could have been an A side, and I think possibly it should have been, but I also get this sense that even then, I'm wondering if they were concerned about appearing too U2-y, because this is a very U2-y song. Like, I think hmm. this is the this is there are some U2 songs that you could put on and you wouldn't realize it was U2. I think anybody would recognize this as U2.
0: Well, they do sing, you know, love really, you know, the the focus is on that word in the chorus. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's not exactly um the most subtle U2, you know, experimental non-U2y song. So yeah, no, makes sense to me. The only thing I wanted to ask you about Three Sunrises in closing We've not really talked much about the actual song and what it is about, really. Is this song about much? And is that a potential failing? Because it's very joyous, but what is this song about?
1: I've never really thought about that, but it it sounds joyous. Hmm. Um, there is normally an ambiguity to you 2 song, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's more about heartbreak than, you know, being head over heels in love.
0: Well, yeah, you know, Spirit of the Rising Sun, lift me up. So I guess yeah. it might be about that. And maybe that's just what this song is. It's a, it's a lifting up. It's sort of a weird spiritual ancestor to, ver- uh, not vertigo, uh, elevation, you know. Yeah. Lifting up spirits. I, I I think that's interesting because as much as I'm being lazy here and not going into the lyrics and breaking down a meaning or giving a reading of the song... It kind of doesn't matter, and it's weird that we could we could talk about it for so long and not really discuss it, you know, what it means, because maybe it's more of a feeling.
1: I don't think our listeners are surprised that we can talk at length about anything, really. <laughs> Just ramble on. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which. We'll get there eventually. Yes. Since she was a little girl with Spanish eyes. Hmm. They don't half repeat ideas. <laughs> I, I, there are a lot of lyrics that they do repeat. Spanish Eyes is one of them. Yeah, but I think Dream Out Loud is another.
0: Yes, I mean this is a good thing for me, I think. And also, if Bono is going to write romantic songs, he's got a limited palette of colours to choose from, hasn't he? Because presumably he's writing about Ali a lot in this, which I'm yeah. pretty sure that, you know this song is about. So if he starts. Right, singing a song where he's saying, you know, you walk over, you've got ice white, you know, um, blonde hair and these lovely, you know, kind of Targaryen purple eyes. There's going to be something going wrong in the uh, the Houston household, isn't there?
1: Well, absolutely, yeah. But uh, David Bowie actually says he, after uh, after a certain point in his career, he felt like he was just writing the same, like, ten songs over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, he couldn't really break that cycle, but he he always tried to make it, you know, different and interesting. Mm. But the same themes and uh, motivations kept coming back to him when he was writing. It's
0: uh, what happens with artists, you know,
1: but I'm glad that, um, an artist, the caliber of David, David Bowie can say that and is willing to admit that, that, yeah, yeah. I, I do repeat myself. I do repeat ideas. There are only a certain, there's only a certain amount of things that I write about. Mm. And,
0: but the thing is, if you're adding depth and richness, then you know, like a good stew, yeah, that's a good thing. You know? But it, it, you know, it
1: is strange. Like, you can always, there's always repeated lyrics with with you two.
0: But that's what um, a B-side is good for, I guess, because it's a sketch from which you can then draw on later on. So
1: I mean, I, it it is handy in in that it gives gives a link to two other songs, mm. and I like that. There's a story. Okay, this links to this because it's part of the dream out load. Saga or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, So that, that's interesting. That's a bit of a side podcast that we've just done there. <laughs> um, the song we're talking about is Spanish Eyes. Yep. Which was originally released as a B-side on the I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For single. Which you yep. think was the third single from
0: uh, Joshua Tree? I don't know. Let's say yes. Uh, yeah. Or we can cut this in later. No, Tyler.
1: It, it's one or two. Yeah. Uh, sorry, it's two or three. <laughs> because <laughs> because number one was we with without, with without You. Without you. Yeah. Then I think it was still what I'm looking for. And then "When well, Streets Have No Name.
0: And then I don't know. It's I don't let's not worry too much about the order anyway. And then Yeah, right. References to things people might not get. Right. Okay, so Do you know what that's a reference to? Yes. I I can picture it in my mind. I don't know. Hold on, what is it? it, it dude was My Car. Oh yeah, why didn't I pull that from my mind straight away? It's almost like it's not a great piece of uh, art cinema. Oh. oh well, you call it art. Uh, so Spanish yeah, Eyes, Spanish Eyes. Let's get let's get to it. I think it's a testament to how good this song is that Bono can sing "way hey hey" about ten times in one song, and it doesn't get boring for me. I think that's quite. I mean, if you. On paper said, right, we've got this song where Bono's going to again talk about eyes. Edge is going to play a reasonably, you know, uh, repetitive riff. It's a great riff, but it's pretty much the same thing throughout the verses and the intro. Um, And Bono's going to say, way, hey, hey. I would be sceptical, but it sounds great. Do you think so? It
1: does, yeah. Um, It reminds me of a, well, it sounds like an early version of Vertigo for me. Not not the way, hey, hey, the the initial guitar riff.
0: I've never made that link, but that's interesting. Well, I'm hoping that, can, that some of the listeners
1: will back me up on that. But it certainly it seems like um, that that riff is the. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not a guitar.
0: <laughs> Shocking revelations on the YouTube <laughs> that Tyler is not, in actual fact, a guitar.
1: Um, right. So yeah, it starts off sounding a bit like a predecessor to Vertigo uh and then I think it becomes a bit of a generic eighties u two track um it, yeah it doesn't it doesn't bowl me over um I've known about this song a very long time, but i've never never really you know seek it out never never look for it
0: um Yeah, I'm hoping the enthusiasm is not going to wane on this review.
1: No, I don't think it will, but, like, is Bono on drugs on this record? Because he he really goes for it. I I mean, I enjoy listening to Hmm. Bono clearly have some fun with what he's doing.
0: Yeah. I think that um, he is, I mean, I I would say no to the drug question, but I think he's kind of up and down on this. His voice is cracking all over the place. Bono, in
1: your mind, is just someone who's never done drugs, isn't he?
0: No, no, I'm pretty sure. And particularly during the pop era, I'm pretty sure that that was. I mean, that seemed to be something that they were even referencing. You know, in in disco tech and stuff like that. Somebody's
1: trying all sorts of jams and marmalades and
0: that stuff. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't understand.
1: (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Uh, it's a very enjoyable track. Um, When it uh, and when when it's being played, it's very enjoyable, but. I don't think it's memorable. I don't think it, it has mm. a hook. It doesn't have that same Whoa. impact that a, it, a U2 song does. It has a massive hook. Way, hey, hey. <laughs> oh, baby, hang on. But yeah, you don't. No, you. Are you telling me you ever seek this song out?
0: I do, actually, but I don't think it should be. I'm not going to make the claim, like with the last track, that it's a travesty that it was not included on Joshua Tree. I don't think it should be on Joshua Tree. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad to tell you that it's not on the Joshua tree. Yeah, good, and neither should it. But I do seek this song out and I think this song has a fond place in a lot of you 2 fans, you know, kind of memory because when they play this song live on the rare occasions that they play live, the reaction from the crowd seems to be so enthusiastic and it's almost like they're becoming a bit more of that young amateur band that they, you know, were in the very early days. Um, so the clip that I'm thinking about here is on YouTube. You can look it up, and we can probably pipe it in under under this. So you can. We're about to pipe it in. Okay. Set up the pipes. Okay. So if you put in Rare U2 Live Barcelona Spanish Eyes 2001, that will come up on on YouTube, and they I think they played it since um, this, but this gets such a big reaction from the crowd. Their band don't seem completely confident with it in a way that is really endearing and gives so much of a kind of uh, spontaneity to it. So, in that respect... There's an urgency in the song. Yeah. Yeah. And it it works well, and there's an energy there, so... Urgent... uh, Well, I'll describe it as an urgent energy. Well, that works for me. Sweetest thing.
1: I love the sweetest thing.
0: Yeah. So, we've got more eyes here. Um... Both, you know, blue-eyed and brown-eyed, and the version that I guess we're going to talk about, I'll be focusing on here, is the old version. I suppose it's a bit weird because well, we have to, yeah, it, yeah. Would, it
1: would make no sense to wait. This is the old version, isn't it? Yeah, on this
0: disc of the best
1: of, but sweetest thing is on the other disc. Yeah, the re-recorded version. I Don't agree with that. Why? Why not? It's good because it was released in nineteen ninety-eight.
0: Oh, okay. Well, uh, I suppose it's splitting hers, isn't it, really? Um, Not really. It, it missed the cut-off point by eight years. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> but when was the
1: song created? Nearly nine years. This came out in November.
0: Well, okay. We'll take it up with McGuinness, right? I think... Uh, yes. Let's just talk about the, the older version then. So, it, this is the lesser of the two versions, in my opinion. Would you agree? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um... I think this is the more interesting version. Yeah, but interesting in a bad way because it has. I I prefer consistency, and the other version is more consistent. Whereas this has, I mean, there's that bit of the end where Bono's going, you know, sort of a breakdown, and the drums change up a bit, and he's going la 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 he hey, and stuff like that. And you think, what is this? Do you remember which bit I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah, he just starts riffing.
0: Yeah, but in that weird we've talked about this before, it's the howling wind factor, where Bono has this odd register in his voice, which is particularly noticeable in Rattling Hum on Bullet the Blue Sky. Um, and I just, I don't like it when he goes into that type of vocal performance. So I prefer the the more modern one with a piano which doesn't sound like it's been recorded in an empty swimming bath, you know.
1: <laughs> Alright, well, let's make like enzymes and break this down. Um... How have you had that in your back pocket? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's there's two different moods that I'd need to be in if I'm if I want to listen to this this song, mm-hmm. uh, and it would depend that that would depend which version. If I'm if I want like a kind of cheeky, the cheeky version of you two, you know, playful, taking taking the mick out of themselves. Yep. Then I go to the 1998 version, particularly the video, yeah, with, which is. Ridiculous, and I've forgotten the name of the street that they that they are driving down. Um, but I have walked down it, um, and they've got Boyzone, yeah, and the the Dublin Fire Brigade, and I think members of Riverdance as well. Yeah, and just the big heads, just r- ridiculous, and Bono trying to impress Ali, and I for some reason Bono just has one of those faces that I enjoy to watch <laughs> for like for three and a half minutes. Just him trying to be entertaining for three and a half minutes
0: is is funny to me. Well, he's a naturally charismatic guy. I think even people who don't really like U2 can admit that. I think yeah, he can get into that that character really mm. well. A lot of non-U2 fans like this song and like that video despite themselves.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 funny that you can see. I think you can see Boyzone's head, one of the heads behind the car, waiting to pop out. Um. It's it's a good video, so I'd, I'd go to the video more than the the, the studio version. Um, but on the the other mood that I would be in if I was coming to listen to this version is I think this is a really good example of what it is like in a U two studio where the, the there's a lot of different ideas, they're chipping away at that song and they're trying to figure figure it out. Mm. So everything's everything's been thrown into the pot, and it's it's just seeing what is created. Yeah. And so that's why I like that's why I like it, because I think it
0: is an insight into the studio. Yeah, it's more of a sketch in that way. I mean, I presume if this had been scheduled for release, you know, they think, okay, this is we are going to do the whole, you know, massive Joshua Tree, you know, um, two albums thing. Um, Or if this had been on any release more officially than this, then it would have been worked over a bit more as they did eventually. So yeah, it works in that
1: way. Adam plays his his little cotton socks off in this song as well. This this particular version. Oh. They probably turned him down in 1998.
0: <laughs> well, maybe so. Um I, I don't know what they have against the poor man. It's a bit too busy, I think Adam's bass sometimes. Although uh coming up soon I will reverse that opinion.
1: Um This must have been seen pretty bad though. This was a B-side on the Where the Streets Have No Name single. Um and it's, yeah, it must have seemed really rough compared to Streets because Streets is very polished. Yeah. Um, there is one thing that really annoys me about this, and I don't know if you'll have noticed it uh, in this in this version. Bono sings his own backing vocals, and it's distracting because you can tell uh, Bono's voice is different, so it's obviously recorded at a different time. Mm. Uh, but the main vocals are very. It sounds like Bono's got a sore throat. It sounds like he's really struggling to sing and he's yeah. tired. Uh, and the backing vocals, Bono's fine. Sounds perfectly healthy, healthy voiced. Yeah. Um. So it's a little bit distracting, because it's obviously still Bono. And it, why not get the edge to do that?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I see what you mean, though. Maybe we could Unless this is just a rough version. I think it. if it had been on a proper album, it would have been cleaned up a bit, and they may have done another pass with it. But we don't really know how much time they had in terms of doing that or at least we've not done the research to find that out um did you know that when um this album of best of was being the first best of was being promoted a sweetest thing chocolate was also produced yeah yeah i did know that that's something that i really like you know i think it's i mean not the chocolate itself i haven't tried it and i wouldn't eat it if i had one but um, it's funny to... If I you've think it not depends who's it,
1: making it. I think you two could afford a, a decent chocolate manufacturer.
0: Um, well, from the pictures I've got of an unwrapping, which are kind of, A, on one hand kind of tantalising, then B, like... I you got pictures
1: it? of the unwrapping.
0: Well, it's like... I mean, if you're a complete nerd about you two, like me, then you can look on Google quite easily and find the sweetest thing chocolate, you can see someone who's unwrapped it. I think it's galaxy chocolate inside, but I'm ready to be proved wrong. Well, I hope it is, because Gal- Galaxy is a quality chocolate. Mm, I'm but... not a fan of it. It's a bit too sweet. Well, I hope Galaxy send me all the freebies then. I like green and blacks. So if they send me <laughs> some stuff, that'd be great. This isn't Chocolate Wars. No, it's not. Um, but
1: do you know the chocolate you get in Advent calendars? Yeah. They're so bad. It's like, it's barely even chocolate. Yeah. And and that's what when I imagine a novelty chocolate bar, Mm. that's that's what I imagine it tasting like. But if they went all out and got Galaxy, then
0: then great. Mm. The only question I have is now when I looked at this online, someone had written, you know, given a bit of details about what was included um, and what you know the details of it. Other bits of text which were quite funny on the um, on the chocolate bar. You can look that up. But they said this is now a very expensive piece of chocolate because obviously. It's a perishable item. There weren't many made. It's highly novelty. It's not you know like a special promo CD. It's a physical thing. Hmm. Um, how much is it? You know, how much would one of those perfectly preserved be? Obviously, the chocolate will have a bloom on it by now, but that's not really the point. So, if anyone knows how much is the sweetest thing, chocolate, uh, listeners, please get in touch. I'm not going to buy it. I just, I'm just interested. Uh,
1: I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know how much it is. <laughs> have you, have you looked on eBay?
0: Uh. I wasn't able to find one, so... Right, okay.
1: Well, yeah, um, maybe somebody uh, from a fan site or something like that can let us know. Yep. So now we go to track four, originally released as a B-side on the unforgettable Fire single, Love Comes Tumbling. And I think think me and Johnny are going to be pretty unanimous about this. This is a Sublime song, it's, yep. it's really up there as as one of the best A-sides or B-sides it's a great U2 track yeah um, and Edge says of this song it was kind of on the cutting room floor it was just in the rubbish pile they didn't really know what to do with it
0: so annoying
1: uh, and it was so it's um, it was after the album had been completed that they reworked it and I just think everyone's firing on all, all cylinders on this track yeah um, it's as close
0: to a perfect U2 song as you can get. I think from that era, yeah. If you're not, if you're not talking about a single, you know, if you're not talking in a very commercially, you know, kind of cynical, what will make money kind of way, because I think then something like Pride is probably where you go to. But for me of this era, it weirdly reminds me of Heartland in that way that it's just it's such a good song and it's them at the absolute top of the game, um, particularly Clayton. And I was listening to this collection um, while I was um, just having a quick jog around the park. And as soon as that chorus came in, I, to my shame, er, uh, based completely invol- involuntarily. So
1: <laughs> I, I accidentally started, uh, um, one time when I was walking, I was listening to Lenny Kravitz and I inadvertently started dancing down the street. And just did, just completely forgot where I was. Just mm. enjoying the music, and I must look like a complete hit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back to uh, Love Comes Tumbling. I think we can agree
0: this should be on Unforgettable Fire. Yeah, of course it should. And it would be again, it would be an extra, an extra song that would just elevate that album to being a contender for one of the best. When when someone doesn't like you too.
1: Or hates you two. This is this is an ace card to play yeah. for a, a non U two fan and just go tell me this isn't a great song. Yeah, and but normally they can't.
0: So why? Let's break this down then. So why is that? Is it because it's it's subtle? Because it's melancholy? Because the the bass is so good all the way through it?
1: One thing that I think stands in its favour is that it isn't properly released in conventional terms mm. because. Um, no matter what song it is, if it's a single, uh, you could have heard somebody, you could have heard a reviewer talk about it. You could have seen it be ripped to shreds in a, an article in a magazine. But when it comes to tracks like this, they're not as well known. They haven't been reviewed like that, so non U2 fans don't have this bank of oh oh that song oh yeah it's it's terrible you yeah. know like get on your boots is the perfect example. There mm. is so much dirt on that record that it's very easy for them to to assassinate it. Yeah. I'm going quite fairly if I'm honest. Yeah. But with a track like Love Comes Tumbling, no one knows it. So it it is that initial, oh, I've never heard this song before. Mm. I'm on my own, I have my own I, I have to have my own opinion about this and to be honest, it's not that bad.
0: Yeah. So and it's great that you can, I mean because I heard this song, you know, when I started really first getting into all the albums, you know, obviously you go straight to the big albums, you get used to all of the um, the tracks on them but by the time you're either listening to this Best Of collection with the B-sides, or you've bought a single, or you've got Wide Awake in America, this is an unexpected gem late on, you know, you may have already heard With or Without You a hundred times but then this comes in and you think, oh this is so atmospheric the guitar is so good um, it's really melancholy but almost, it's almost kind of, you know a Spiritual kind of sound that is creative there when he goes right up to the end, you know, and all he's doing is moving that guitar figure a bit higher, you know, so rather than you know, it goes eh, a bit higher, yeah, and it just sounds so good. Um, this is another occasion, however, where I've had a Johnny mishearing, okay. This is it's happening a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs>
1: terrible, like then, and this is just one band
0: that we've covered, yeah.
1: Imagine the wealth of information that you've misheard. It's
0: amazing I can communicate at all, I think. <laughs> Such is my mishearing. Anyway, so so the line is, I can't lift you up again. Love comes tumbling down again. So I always heard... is that That's how you would hear that, yeah? No, that's your interpretation, isn't it? No. That's the actual... That's the actual lyric. According to... Um... Right, so I think I've misheard this as well. What do you hear it as? I think I Can't Live to Love Again. That's what I think it is. Yeah, I might be wrong. I mean, I did try and double-check this, you know, through his official... So what's the actual one? I Can't Lift You Up Again. I prefer our version. Yeah, I prefer our version. Yeah, it's two fingers up to Bono (laughs) and his lyrics. Yeah, I just... I think that's better. I mean, maybe it's a bit more... um, Maybe a bit more dramatic. Some might say hyperbolic. I'm not sure.
1: I am amazed that Bono hasn't started... um, Consulting us regarding these
0: issues. See, will die and live again. That's all I'll, all I'll say. Um, just before we uh, close it up on "Love Comes Tumbling," I'm aware that we've not really talked as much about the meanings of these songs. But this is a song I think where I don't know what what. How does it mean? What does it mean to you? Does it just have a kind of a sad atmosphere to <clears> it? <throat> no, it's. Uh, it I, I, think it, I think it is
1: uplifting. Actually, um, it's one of the few songs that have ever made me cry. Um, very few songs that have ever done that for me, but th- this is uh, this is in the... It's it's probably the most played track for me from the 80s. Mm, wow. I don't know if that... But I, I know I listen to this a lot. Yeah, it's up there. I, I go to this
0: track. I'm not just listening to an album. I, I put this track on. So what do you go to this track for? Is it because it's got a kind of sad, bittersweet quality to it?
1: I, 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 yeah, I suppose it is when I'm feeling low, but it's... It kind of picks me up, or if I just want to hear a beautiful song. Sometimes you just want to hear mm. a beautiful song, and it, it's everybody's on point. They're the playing together as a band, and it's 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 just it's got a special quality, and I can't really put my finger on it. Um, but it is emotional. It's an emotional listen.
0: Bass trap now. Best of edit. Best of edit, yes. Uh, let, let us not forget. Um, so, I really like chill out music, and by that I don't mean like Ibiza club anthem, you know the chill out albums, that kind of thing. You mean chill out
1: house, kind of. Stuff. Yeah, not not that kind of stuff. Although See, that's... that's what I do like.
0: <laughs> well, it's perfectly fine. But I, what I'm what I'm talking about is ambient. Eno. I'm
1: just gonna do a little shout out to the Spotify playlist. Tropical house,
0: it's uh it's a good one. So check that out. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to give a shout out then to Brian Eno's new album, uh, Reflection, which is just one track. It's about 50 minutes long, and it's just ambient music. You're shaking your head, Tyler. <laughs> I don't know, no, no. Um, love so, Brian. Love yeah. Him. Okay, fine. Maybe this is bringing up some bad Brian memories from you, uh, for you about Unforgettable Fire. But anyway, I like bass trap. I think it should also be on the Unforgettable Fire. Tyler, I imagine you disagree with me because you don't like this song very much, do you? It's better than 4th of July, but it's still not my cup of tea. See, I just love the the texture of something like this. You can listen to this song a hundred times and hear different things in it because it's not got... It's just a bass loop with Edge messing around. Lanoir is apparently on pedal steel, uh, creating some of those uh, sounds there. It's... A beautiful sketch. It's like watching artists just working in a very abstract way with no goal. <laughs> What's so funny about that?
1: I just—it's—it's it's not what I go to YouTube for.
0: Um... Okay. Well, I used to listen to this song um, with a few other edge-based songs, um, particularly off Captive, and I put them on a compilation CD, which I used to use as my first kind of um, relaxing ambient album. So you could put it on when you wanted to read something and not be bothered by lyrics when you are maybe revising for something, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's a heavy compliment as well to this song. It's it's very beautiful. It can create an atmosphere without having to be a complete song. And again, that's what that's why it should be on the Unforgettable Fire, in my opinion.
1: Your relax and work playlist on Spotify was good. I think it got me through my degree. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's the power of
0: ambience. So. But Bass Trap wasn't in it. Oh, wasn't it? No. I must have left it off. Might be that was on an earlier draft. Or maybe just got sick of it because I mean, I've listened to this song probably thousands of times. So actually, it might be my most listened to you two song purely because I'm I'm not paying attention to it, but it is on, you know. Um, So I have also included at the end of this podcast one of my Eno bass trap inspired ambient songs. Um, Remember a
1: few episodes ago when I uh, asked if this podcast was just a suit to (laughs) front your floundering musical career floundering musical career, which is exactly what I said yeah, (laughs) Um, I'm beginning to think you lied to me when you said it
0: wasn't. No comment
1: Okay, so track six would be Dancing Barefoot originally by Patti Smith and Ivan Crowell, apparently him too (laughs) Uh, and it was featured on the "When Love Comes to Town" single. Um, I don't really like this song. I like the verses, um,
0: but the chorus seems a bit flawed. Yeah, there is something underwhelming about the, the chorus. I would, I would completely agree with that.
1: And uh, you know, this is this is like a, a bit of a problem when you two start to cover other people's songs. You two have this huge, big sound. But they write huge big songs for the sound. They write for the sound. Mm. So when you have them trying to play somebody else's song, and I've noticed this a few times, they yeah. it's almost as if they're they're being held back a little bit. Yeah. They're playing the song as full as they can, but there's it's not been it's not made for you too.
0: It's jarring. Um But this is a start of three covers in a row and this, to me, is where the CD... I know this isn't an album, but it's been put together with presumably the intention of people listening to it and maybe listening to it all in one. This is where this CD, the breaks come on for me, and it's like...
1: Well, you know, I, I should have listened to the original, but I didn't.
2: Um, well, the... well, I just don't
1: think there's any pop in the drum and bass for this. It's... Um... I I I think there are some good covers on this on this record but this isn't one of them.
0: Um well I mean I tend to agree with what uh, the All Music Review said about this particular bit of the of the the B-side section um which is quote a momentum crushing triptych of m- mediocre karaoke. Hmm. And I kind of mangled that myself but and I it's kind of I don't really get the point of them doing this song too much. Um, Edge sounds good, which you would expect as a comment from me, um, but I think his guitar sounds quite cartoony and like he's trying on a different style, you know, for that... Like, I mean, that's pretty cool. I I think the Patti Smith version sounds better originally. I haven't heard it. Um,
1: I think the last thing I want to say about this song... Uh, is that I I will just advise that dancing barefoot is not allowed in any nightclub I have ever been to. It's a health and safety risk, and um, it's just a silly idea.
0: Everlasting Love. Now, the acoustic hits you right in the face at the start of this uh, track. There's no denying that. And the song almost gets a second and then third lease of life when Adam joins in, and then when Larry kind of steps it up, it's one of the most kind of joyfully recorded songs I can remember. Hear it, even just all that is captured in that guitar coming out, you know, and the strumming pattern.
1: You can hear Bono laugh at some at one point. Oh really? Um, I don't know if I know, I noted when it was about around one minute thirty. Uh, you can just hear this like you know little laugh from Bono so i'll have to check that out there is joy there, there is joy in this song yeah
0: um so i mean i think the um the last section where you know we have all the backing come in and there's there's a sense of them just throwing everything out this song that is really good and i guess that contradicts what i was saying before about this really being a momentum slower when the covers come in but at the end of the day it's quite simple and quite superficial of a song. I don't think they thought about this song much. I don't think there's that much to talk about. It's just sort of them having fun. What do you think?
1: I I love it. I, I really do love this version. I think this is okay. them getting a cover right. Um it's it it sounds full, it sounds big, it's it is very scratchy, very I think I think this was maybe a one take and done. Kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Sounds like it could have been, but it it just sounds really good. They make it their own. It doesn't sound this song has been covered by everybody, um, and I I don't think it sounds like any of the other versions. This sounds like a like mm. U two doing a cover. Yeah, it's not a U two song, but I, re- I I do I really really like this song, um, and I and I
0: do listen to this version. Fair enough. Um, would you agree that it's more surface than depth,
3: though?
1: Um, I think so. I think it's just, it, um, you know, look at look at the time frame when it came out. I think it's you two discovering other types of music. Mm. I can't imagine that they had time for songs like "Everlasting Love" when you know when they're in Dublin and they're getting into punk and all that stuff. Mm. And I think this is this is the first time that they would have been listening to songs like this. Yeah, and it is it is a good song. It's a, it's a great little song. It's actually. Uh, I would argue, the song that got me into music. Not because of you 2 Over here in the UK, we have a um, medical TV show called Casualty. Um, (laughs) What an education this is going to be. And there was a character who I believe was the receptionist. And one night they all went out on Like a Staff Do and it's karaoke in a bar and... and Mm the receptionist sings this song and everybody's amazed she's so good it's brilliant um, and then she left Casualty to start a a music career relatively ill-fated I I think I can say I can't remember the, the person's name that's how how bad it was this is a but, really good story but I remember being a kid like just for weeks and weeks singing Everlasting Love because of that mm. performance it was one of the first songs that I, I remember really loving yeah and that was that would have been mid 90s so I
0: would have been really young. I guess one of the problems with this song then is that it is, it has been covered by everyone. It is overplayed, but it does have an incredible melody. You know, the looking to me, you know, looking to your eyes, that kind of bit. It's really good, but no matter how good a melody is, if you hear it a hundred times, it will get a bit stale. So maybe that's my my difficulty with this song. But you two do a good version here, and I want them to be doing upbeat, fun versions of songs. In this era, and not downbeat stuff like "Love Rescue Me," which I think is atrocious.
1: Okay, so here we go with track eight on the Best of the B-Sides 1980 to 1990. It was originally uh, on the "All I Want Is You" single, like the last track. Uh, it's "Unchained Melody."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you a fan of this song, then, Johnny? It's just dull, and I think apologies in advance to anyone who really likes a lot of the songs that we're going to cover, but I feel like a lot of these just do not grab me or inspire me. So it's professionally done. It's I can see it's passionate in a way, but it's also a little bit, dare I say, X-Factory. So I know that doesn't make sense. That's an anachronism because obviously X-Factor wasn't around when they recorded this, but it's just slow-paced, Bono is doing a great job vocally. I
1: love how much effort he manages to put into this.
0: Well, I did used to show this to people just to prove how good Bono can be at singing. But this isn't the Bono of Acrobat. It's not the Bono of Daddy's Gonna Pay For Your Crash Card. There's nothing to intrigue me here. I know he's doing a cover. It's like, you know, an actor gets so big and you see them in a film and you think, oh, there's that actor, not, you know, that character. That's how I feel. It's just, oh, was yeah. doing a song.
1: Well, I know Bono was taking the piss out of himself when he included this at the end of ZOO TV. But there is a little part of me that wants him to wants the band to perform this mm. the proper way. Because um, I think it could be a, a nice addition to a U2 set.
0: Mm. No, it's not on my list.
1: One thing that makes me worry, actually, about um, the upcoming Joshua Tree tour this year mm. is... Does that mean we've got another Rattle and Hum coming next year? Because... I don't think
0: the world is ready. Yeah, but then quite soon after that, we'll get another act on Baby, so it's worth it. Uh, they, they might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're releasing albums at this rate, then they will be.
1: Um, as far as Unchained Melody is concerned, really great emotion from Bono. I think it is a good version, uh, but we're not going to waste too much time of it because
0: No, nope, it it's up. Unchained
1: Melody. Listen to it yourself. You probably already have. You've already got an opinion. And yeah, there's nothing else to say.
0: Walk to the water. This is one of my favourites of this whole collection and it is one that I came back to time and time again because it's very different. It sounds like Bono is doing something consciously different to normal and is taking on a persona and a way of writing that is so different. So Bono doesn't do a lot of um, repetition. So in the way, um, obviously in choruses, but... In that verse we're saying she wore canvas shoes and then kind of reiterates white canvas shoes. That seems to be a style that is very different to you two. You can tell he's been reading some interesting poets around this time and trying to incorporate. Ginsburg, that, into that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, when he's talking about he really was an artist. Sorry, he he said he was an artist, but he just painted billboards in large capital letters, large capital letters. Ginsburg,
1: for those of you that don't know, is a famous list poet um, Mm. who basically writes lists in some... It must be some kind of form and meter. Um, He was okay to study, but I've never picked up a Ginsburg text since.
0: But that kind of influences on Bono here, I think. And for me, it works. Some people might say this is just a little bit um, him trying to be that and failing, but it's such an... I get so much interest, and this is such an an evocative song compared to the last three songs, because I'm interested in those characters, and I'm interested in um, Bono's delivery there, and then what does it mean, Walk to the Water? Is this a suicide? Is this more of a spiritual thing, where you're coming back to, say, baptism? And then, later on, when he's singing the Let Me Love You bit, that is the best Bono's voice sounds I think possibly on this entire collection. He's putting so much effort into it. And this isn't just a vocal workout, which I think Unchained Melody is. This is actually an interesting song, which it's unpolished bits in places, make it sound like it was a difficult one to kind of get through. And the whole of this song I can get lost in. Well, um,
1: this is part of the Wither Without You trilogy, according to Bono. Oh, yeah. Um. So, the trilogy would have been With or Without You, Walk on the Water, and the next track, which is Luminous Times.
0: Walk on the Water. What, have I said? what did I say? <laughs> walk on the Water, which might have been a song about Jesus. But this is Walk to the Water.
1: Walk to the Water. I've put Walk on there. <laughs> well, Walk it, were you on. two repeating ideas yet again. <laughs> uh, so, Walk to the Water. So, uh, yeah, those are the, the three songs. I don't know if... The, there's anything really in that? I don't know. I can't see a story
0: throughout the three songs. Maybe they are similar, possibly. Uh, but I think the maybe they're about similar subject matter, or the initial creation of them was about that. But this well, is, well is Bono a... wanted. Bono felt that uh, with or without, you
1: didn't make sense without these songs. So wanted those two songs to be on the on the record. Yeah,
0: I don't think that's true. Mm. And I think this is it's a. It's a very different feel to it to "Wither Without You." It is more, um, yeah, like it's inspired by a particular type of American poet, whereas "Wither Without You" is 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 you know the big ballady rock song, isn't yeah. it? So it's just different. This is more hymn like.
1: Um, this is a very popular B side with a lot of U two fans. So it should um, be. You, you don't have to look far online to find someone, you know, pouring the heart out in how how in love they are with this song. Um, described by many U2 fans as U2's best B-side or best from this period, um, I, I just threw the B-sides in because it, it's not the best they've ever done. Um, but I've never felt a particular pull to it. But I, there is a certain disconnect with me and B-sides. Mm. I, I don't seem to appreciate a B-side as much as an A-side, apart from in rare occasions like "Love Comes Tumbling."
0: Well, it is a very different presentation. You can never get away from the fact that an album has a particular context, you know. So, it does make you approach a song very differently to have it as a B-side, because there's been a conscious decision on behalf of the band to say this is not a material. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's difficult. I I would put this on Joshua Tree with just a few kind of tweaks you know i know i sound like i've got anything to do with the production of this but if it was my choice i would like this on the josh tree and i think it would be a very interesting addition to it um
1: i disagree
0: well i might be i might be talking rubbish there i, I don't know maybe i've not made my own <laughs> mind up yet but um last thing is that i know it's this time uh we uh listen to this song there's a kind of wah sound in the background i don't mean wah wah like guitar nah. No, not that. Um, (laughs) But just a general ambient wah sort of vocal sound. Wah! (laughs) It doesn't sound like that. It's like a chicken. Wah! Next song.
1: Okay, so the next track is Luminous Times. Once again, it was a B-side for the Wither Without You single. And this is the third part of the Wither Without You trilogy. Anthemic lyrically interesting fits more with uh unforgettable fire than with the Joshua tree I feel um but again it just doesn't it doesn't grab me it doesn't it, it doesn't I I don't care I I I've had access to this B-side for a very long time and I just I'd never ever reach for it
0: yeah I don't reach for this very often if at all it feels very heartfelt but there's something that just doesn't make it work for me I like the piano but nothing really happens in this song. Um so it feels a bit more like film music or even uh you know walk on music.
1: Yeah, well that's that, that's that uh
0: the the anthemic uh, aesthetic is unforgettable fire for me. Well, I think it would be it would be great to see the band walk onto this music. you know you can imagine the ding the, ding the, and you can hear it all swelling but I don't want them to play the whole song. I would just like that as in them they're going to do something different. I think it works in that context, but four minutes 35 of this is too much and I do not want to hold on to it.
1: I think we're getting into filler territory at this point.
0: Yeah, and that kind of brings up an interesting question of the selection of songs on this B-Sides collection. Who's it for? It's just weird. It's very unbalanced. There's... I just don't... There's better songs that could have been on this. Um, So we've got to review it as it was released, I guess. Um, And, yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: Here she comes. Uh, So this is a single... Well, a B-side, sorry, from the Desire single. Um, I think this could have been on
0: Rattle and Hum. Well, considering the amount of rubbish they put on Rattle and Hum... And I will just add as a caveat, there is some amazing stuff on Rattle and yeah, home as well. Yeah. I don't want people to think that I hate Rattle and Hum completely. Um, yeah, I'd rather have this on than uh, Love Rescue Me. Well, this actually made me start to
1: think that... May, and I think we said something like this on the Rattle and hum podcast, that the, it could have benefited from having a studio album, a proper studio album, Yeah, which is would have been the follow up to the Joshua tree. Yeah. Very American influenced, that's fine as long as as long as it's in, in the tone of the album. Uh, and then having a film and live album as a separate entity. Yeah. Released a few mo- maybe 6 months after the album. Just as a follow up to the album. I think the problem with Rattling Home is people don't know what it is. They don't know how to take it. Is it a live album? Mm. Is it a, is it a soundtrack? Is it a throwaway? Is it a mockumentary in the style of Spinal Tap? Um, I would argue yes. <laughs> um, so that's that's the problem, but I, I don't think this is a terrible song. Um, the chorus seems a bit unfinished. Um, Bono, I think, uh, is at his peak vocally. Uh, the, I think he sounds very good on this. I, you, mm. you have a problem with Bono, the way he sings around this period. So I don't expect you to agree with me on that. Um but it, he's in full rock voice mode.
0: Yeah, but I just think that this is a Bono I don't believe in in the same way that I I believe oddly oddly enough in the era when they went most postmodern. I believe in Bono the most as well, yeah. you know, when those categories of truth should arguably be slipping around a bit more. But Bono really believed in himself at this point.
1: He really really thought he was that Bono. Or that's who he was. Or that was the future of him. He was having
0: an identity crisis and was trying to put himself, uh, trying on a different set of clothes to be like, oh, maybe I am a bit more like Stones or Bob Dylan. Um, (laughs) But I don't think he is. And good. No, no. This is a song that I think would work in a good context, maybe in, you know, kind of a bar. I could also see it working well in a church or, you know, a gospel kind of setting. That would be cool. Yeah. But it is also a song basically born of cliches. And it is a song, I mean, born and raised on the wrong side of town. I see a dress to kill. You know, it's it's dull songwriting, in my opinion. Um, I think it's quite catchy. And I like the whole hallelujah, hallelujah kind of bit. Edge sounds great. But it's a bit like Hawkmoon in It's an Americana. It's just I'm, I'm not interested in you two doing that kind of stuff as much as I am... I like Hawkmoon. Didn't that much when we reviewed it.
1: I'm sure I did. You always say this whenever I say <laughs> I liked a song. I'm
0: not sure I liked Hawkmoon. Not as much as you loved 4th of July. You really love that song. Mm. Oh, hate it. Hate it.
1: It's just stupid.
2: <laughs> what am I doing?
1: Okay, so here we go with what I think is track 12 from The Were The Streets Have No Name... Single, Silver and Gold. Kind of already reviewed this on the um Yeah. Rattling Home podcast. I deliberately didn't go back to see what I said about that. Mhm. So, if there is uh, if if there is a contrary opinion here, then that's fine. At least I'm reviewing it how I find it. At, we are only human. Yeah, at any one time. Um I think once you've heard the live version of Silver and Gold, then the studio version seems a bit flat. Yep. Um but I think this could have gone on the Joshua Tree maybe in the place of Bullet
0: or Exit. Maybe. What are you talking maybe. about? Maybe. No. Um, not even maybe. But you don't like Exit. It's the weakest song on the Joshua Tree, but it's a million times better than Silver and Gold. Silver and Gold's an important political song and I like the fact that it's on Rattle Home, and it's got a really cool uh, live version of it. I guess. But it's not worthy of the Joshua Tree. It's just not that good of a song.
1: Uh, well, I can I can kind of take it or leave it, but I think we speak as two people that Joshua Tree isn't our favorite album anyway.
0: It's up there
1: for me, but not. But I think it would be a different conversation if, uh, for example, we were talking about what shouldn't shouldn't be on Pop, or what yeah. shouldn't shouldn't be on Acton Baby. Yeah. Um. So you know, it, you know, each to their own. Um. But I'm not. I I wouldn't really be bothered if Exit or Bullet fell off Joshua
0: Tree. Bullet the Blue Sky is fundamentally important to that album. <laughs> I love Bullet the Blue Sky. I'm sure we both said we were a bit sick of it. I'm sick of it live in the same way I'm sick of Pride Live, but that's uh, just because I want them to play um, you know, weird stuff like Walk to the Water and uh uh I don't know. Well there's that's another weird <laughs> a weird song. Uh Crime beneath Her feet? Endless Deep, I'd like them to play Endless Deep.
1: What about Trash Trampling and the Party Girl? Uh, that version not that that version not the not the later version
0: well we'll see when we get to that I guess
1: <laughs> are we done with silver and gold I'm very done with silver and for gold for our full musings on silver and gold please check out our Rattle and Hum podcast from season one yep this is a long album yeah, I can feel our energy waning. <laughs>
0: and also I can feel our negativity rising. It didn't feel this long when I was actually listening to it. Um, I've got to admit, it really did for me. I um, remember this a lot more fondly than than I thought I did.
1: Uh, so this is track 13, maybe. Uh, endless
0: Deep. Yes, a really weird inclusion. So this was... Um... I'm glad they included it. Yeah, but as far as I can tell, like this is... Not from the era that you know, Silver and Gold and all the other ones are from. This is from um a lot more of the early material, which begs the question Which was on
1: the Two Hearts Beaters one single. Yeah,
0: so it's around War era. So where's Angels Two Tied, which is a, an amazing song. Um Well this is something I wanted to talk to
1: you about actually. Like twelve songs out of fifteen are from nineteen eighty four to nineteen eighty nine. Mm. That five-year period,
2: yeah,
1: and only three are from the nineteen seventy-nine to up to nineteen eighty-four period. This is supposed to be a best of that that era. Mm. There are some really good best ofs from Boy, October, War. Yeah, they're just not represented on this. Were they still, or was it okay? They loved it. They loved the Joshua Tree. I, I think that's it. I think Let, let's let's give them that stuff mm. because that's that's the era they love.
0: But then they didn't include "Deep in the Heart," which I mean, maybe someone would say, "Oh, that's because it wasn't recorded with that vocal," or you know, in the same way that "Wave of Sorrow" needed to be re-recorded. Um, so maybe I'm I'm talking rubbish here, but I just think this is a very odd track list. And this particular song is a very odd inclusion, particularly at this point. The chronology I can of this Edge makes
1: Edge or or somebody really fighting to put this song on, you know, if they're proud of, of the song.
0: Well do you think Adam fought for this because it is Adam's only uh lead vocal performance? Is it really? Well he obviously sings the whole zooming in, zooming out on a, you know on a later song, which yeah. we'll get to. But
1: this is I didn't even notice that when I was listening to
0: it. Well <laughs>
1: I didn't know I don't think I noticed
0: lyrics. Did you listen to the right song for this? <laughs> <laughs> you say he's, he's very unenthusiastically seen. Uh, where do we go from here? It's sort of like a young, surly Adam, and and by the end, yeah, he's, okay. he's sort of singing a little bit. It's we should talk about the song, I guess.
1: Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So the sound. Um, I think it sounded like an '80s track, like a late '80s track. Yeah. Um, it it is good, but I wish it was. I wish it had been developed into a full song. It it doesn't it doesn't come across like a full song. Hmm. It's dark and it's brooding. It it is very very eighties.
0: He's using lyrics from other bits of October as well. You know the where do we go from here? Yeah. So that's recycled in 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 a way. Yeah. Um. The piano sounds great though. It really cuts through. um, There are there are
1: good bits, but it it seems like it seems like a sketch. Uh, And I'm wondering if this wasn't released properly, because it does sound like a generic 80s song. Like, anybody could have done this. And, and, and pretty much everybody in the 80s did
0: this kind of thing. With the exception of the piano, I think. I think that's a very edgy piano. And Edge's. I wish there was more of edge piano playing on earlier stuff, because again, I'm going to mention it one more time, Angels Two Tide has that silvery kind of quality with the piano, that I could have really got through um, cut through an album and made it better I said cut through about 10 times <laughs> um, so yeah
1: it's, it, it is an odd choice it is an odd choice hmm. but I'm glad there's, there's at least some representation from that period but th- there, are,
0: there are better songs out there just makes me ask why is there not more <laughs> I would like a room at the Heartbreak Hotel, please. Okay. Thank you. I'll uh, just head up. Hang oh on, you got to pay first. <laughs> Would you pay first before you pay before, wouldn't you? Uh, let's restart this link. <laughs> <laughs> A room at the Heartbreak Hotel. What do you think of this, Tyler? Will you be staying? Um, not
1: really. No. It, actually, you know what the problem with it? This is from the uh, "Angel of Harlem" single. Such a good song. And this is the best-off edit again. Um, it's not even a bad song, but the band just seems so absorbed in this Americana love affair that they almost get lost. There's almost no identity of you 2 there. Yeah. So, no, it's just not that good. I, 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 It's not... It's kind of like... I think we've gone full circle. We've gone to, like back to that Coldplay album. Which, uh, which one? The last... Coldplay album. It was a bit weird. Did we talk about that on the news, or was that... I
0: don't think we talked about that on this one. On this one, right, okay. I don't know, it's been so long. <laughs>
1: um, But yeah, they, they just kind of get lost. There's no identity, and um, it's, it's uninteresting. I, I go to U2 to hear a U2 track, and for me this isn't a U2 track, because they're, they're so hidden behind people they're trying to be at this point.
0: It's also, there's not really a song here too much. I mean, and again, I just don't believe um, Bono when he's singing lines like, give your life for rock and roll, and then he goes, ugh, like that kind of thing. I just think <laughs> you did, you talk about rock and roll so much more interestingly on Acton Baby. This isn't really anything. It's, Edge doesn't really have anything to do here. He's just playing big, boring, reverb-soaked, you know, chords, doesn't really add up to much. And while this might be fun for them to play together, it's not fun to listen to at all. Um, probably one of the most forgettable U2 songs I've ever heard.
1: Yeah. Um, very uninteresting. I do have the B-side. I've got the CD single. I don't think I've ever listened to this. In
0: comparison, to, sorry, in comparative to uh, Angel of Harlem, which is a song with so much energy and fun, yeah. and there's a good amount of texture in there, this is it's not worth it yeah, be yourselves boys be yourselves
1: and the final b-side on this collection it is Trash Trampoline and the Party Girl uh, and they're here tonight all three <laughs> yeah. uh, it would later become known as Party Girl and I think for the first time released on Under a Blood Red Sky
0: it's definitely the version that I and I think a lot of fans will be most familiar with. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but this is a much earlier version from the A Celebration single. I mean, A
0: Celebration? God, like... I love A Celebration, it's yeah, great. Yeah, but that, that's... How that, how long ago is that? It's... Yeah, this doesn't make sense again. This doesn't make any sense why this is on here. It, no, it's pretty pretty stupid. Um,
1: this is, As I said, this is the original version of Party Girl. Um, and I'm certainly more forgiving because it's from so early on. Okay. Uh, they're they're almost they're almost allowed to be this band um because of how early on it was,
0: how early in the career. Yeah, anyone who has done early demos knows how terrible you can sound as an early band. Yeah. Um the, the real
1: payoff is uh, of this song is what it became. But this version is a is a song I used to quite in, 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 in the opposite way uh, of normally trying to convince non-U2 fans, that they are a good band. This is a song I would play that play people to show how bad, like, you know, even good, even great bands can start yeah. off being. It's kind of like, you know, well, I remember when we recorded our first CD mm. um, that I would show this to people and go, you know, this is where U2 started off and look where they are now. Yeah. So, and our first CD was a lot better recorded than Trash Trampling and the Party Girl.
0: Well, I I, I mean, we have a lot of benefit of technology, don't we, really? But also, I don't want to suggest that we could write... I think this is a great song. No, they've
1: progressed at a much faster pace since
0: then. I mean... I also think this is a good song at its root. Um, I think it is. But they could surely have re-recorded some of the stuff that's on here. Um, Edge's guitar sounds awful, and they must have known it sounded awful. In terms of the solo, he messes up the notes, um you know it doesn't sound good, and I don't know why he's recording that on an acoustic now obviously there's that whole you know guitar hero and Bono sort of having a joke because it's really not a guitar hero style solo <laughs> <laughs> at all um but Bono is actually out of breath and seemingly out of key on this
1: uh yeah song. it's not it's not a good showing. And it's a very, very odd choice for final track.
0: Yeah, it's an odd it... end to an initially very interesting collection of songs. And presumably, if you're more keen on the Joshua Tree, Ratland, Hum era stuff, you've really enjoyed this collection, certainly more than you and I have. But then, why end with this? It's like the saying, we need to stick something on there that's very early and proves that the band used to not be very good. Yeah. yeah. At, at least at recording.
1: Well, I suppose it is it what it is. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Um, bit of a weird selection of songs.
0: Maybe they didn't think people would get this far. I mean, I would not have got through uh, "Room at the Heartbreak Hotel."
1: No, no. Well, there we go. I don't think, don't think my, uh, myself or Johnny Kerr for "Trash Trampoline" and "The Party Girl." Although I do listen to it as, as I find it interesting I, every now and then. I
0: love "Party Girl." I just yeah. think this recording of it is
1: pretty bad. <laughs> It's that time of the podcast where normally we would do everybody's favourite feature. But we're still going to do it. We're still going to do it, even though it's not a proper album. You can hear the masses celebrating across the world. The, the whooping around the world. <laughs> whoop, whoop. That's the sound of Review 2's fans.
0: <laughs> All right, well, going to get to this, or not
1: Uh Yep, yeah, okay. So it's time for everybody's favourite feature. <laughs> oh, the sweetest thing. What? <laughs> What's your sweetest thing, Johnny? Um,
0: <laughs> this has been a disjointed podcast. I'm going to say that um, almost as disjointed it, as, as the album. Record. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, my sweetest thing. It's a tie. Oh no, we don't do that, do we? Uh, Three sunrises. I love that song. It's sad that it's not on. Uh, it's not on Unforgettable Fire. Same thing. with love comes stumbling.
1: Mine is everlasting love. Shut up! It is unless you want me to pick a U two song, then I'll choose something else. But no, no, fine. Everlasting love. Okay, fine. But if you want a U two song, um, uh, then it's Love Comes Tumbling. Yeah, so, done. makes sense. Um, and now time for everybody's
0: mm, Dirty Day. Yeah, there's a lot of um, Dirty Days on this album. It's 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 anyone's choice, really. I guess I guess Heartbreak Hotel. Cause it has it has the least character of any U two song I've ever heard. The songs on that you two have done that have a lot of character I just don't like the character, it's just me I, I don't respond to it, so I'll say it one last time, love Rescue Me, I don't like it, but it has I know it has a tone and a flavour but Heartbreak Hotel is so dull. Uh,
1: yeah, well it's one of those very, very rare occasions where we agree on oh. one of these uh, a room at the Heartbreak Hotel, it's just bad it's just bad um, but yeah there we go, that's done, um very late 80s heavy, and I minded, I wanted yeah. a, more of a selection, particularly for people who didn't get chance to get those early songs. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that that was a missed opportunity. As a collection of
0: songs, is it an enjoyable listen? Initially, it's it starts quite, off well. Quite yeah. promising, yeah. I mean, up to bass trap, I would say, I'm, I'm really, really engaged with this um and later on there are some absolute gems you know i love walk to the water and i I, mean, I did listen to this b side collection a lot mm. apart from maybe skipping heartbreak hotel and maybe um luminous times i i mean i'd be interested to hear what other people think should have been on this um you know
1: well are we supposed to
0: listen to this as a whole or just pick and choose I think it's no, I think it's just slapped together basically. I don't think there was any real thought about the construction of this
1: other than other than listening for this podcast. I have never listened to this all the way through. Hmm. It's a, a pick and choose and then it's it's one or two songs.
0: But it's such an odd pick and choose as well. I mean, you would think okay, well why not go chronologically and start with a couple of the early B-sides or uh, even early I guess it has to be B-Sides. I was going to say early early singles that maybe got redone, but... I think this takes us full circle. I think this was just a rush um,
1: of quick, we need to get something out, which will remind everybody of how good we are. Mm. Um, I, and I think it was a panic after Pop and Pop yeah. Mart.
0: But let's think a lot more about making a Sweetest Thing chocolate bar than about the track listing or the inclusion of you know certain songs on this particular album. Yeah, it was, it was throwaway. I mean, it, it would seem
1: less suspicious if they'd waited another six months. When it came out in ninety nine that it was a nice waypoint between hmm. pop and all that you can't leave behind. But it, it, it seems rush, it appears um it it sounds rushed and it
0: I don't know, there's a lot of illogical choices I would say. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um but having said that, I listened to this a lot when it was released. It got me into the B sides, it exposed me to a different side of U2. So I'm I'm glad it was there. And I'm excited for the next episode where I think we'll get in a stronger collection of B-sides from the 90s.
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly more, uh, better thought out. So, for today, I think that's everything. So all that's left to say is thank you very much once again for listening. We hope you join us next week when we'll be reviewing the 1990 to 2000 best of B-sides. It should, it should be a lot of fun. So we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. See you then. Hi there. thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review two to you, or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the Review 2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.